Nothing But Nets podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dave Early, here with Greg Dennis. Greg, welcome back to the pod. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> you, sound, you, sound like, uh, you sound like the Brooklyn Brigade who turned out for the 28-point comeback at Madison Square Garden. Would you say that's that's been like the highlight of the season so far? I mean, yeah, there's there's obviously been a lot of um, downs, um, but I mean, you know, when you talk about some of the brighter moments, I feel like that's probably right there, right? Yeah, I think had the trade not gone down the way it did, we might have looked at like that maybe that Bulls game where the big three were healthy and they just destroyed the first place Bulls at the time. And it was like, oh, okay, this is a part-time super team. Um, that might have been a high. I mean, certainly they looked like a championship contender in that moment, that game. But now looking at the way it all shook out, I think, yeah, I think that game uh, in the garden, a 28-point comeback, you know, we got Bruce Brown talking about how the vibes post-trade deadline have been so good. Players talking about a certain energy. Um, and for the first time, I feel like since – that game back in earlier in January, it feels like um, the Nets are sort of ramping up right now. What do you think? Absolutely. And I want to start here because it is, you know, the most um, current and pertinent newsworthy story of the week. What was your reaction to the Nets signing Goran Dragic? It's it's a really nice coup. I think, you know, I've probably read a million articles from a million blogs talking about the players that they would like to see their team get. And Dragic was at like the top of the list of every team in the league, pretty much. Um, so that the Nets were able to provide. I, I think Dragic said that there were like six contenders that all wanted him that he was con- considering. Um, he talked about his personal relationship with Steve Nash. Obviously he backed him up for, I think four years or so in Phoenix. Um, Amari Stoudemire is on that bench. He's played with him. Actually, I think he might've been around him in Phoenix and Miami. Is that true? Uh, James Johnson at the very least in Miami. Um, so they have some history. You have to think that Nash was able to lean on some of that to get him to play. And yeah, I think it's a really nice win for the Nets. The only issue is, like, you know, what what does his role look like if this team is ever at full strength? Um, and did the Nets have to maybe overpromise in order to get him in the door? Yeah, I think I think that's the question. It's a pretty crowded backcourt, um, and it's a backcourt really with not a lot of size. When you look at Kyrie Irving, you look at Seth Curry. Uh, Dragic, obviously, Patty Mills. Um, so, you know, it's hard to envision more than one of those guys playing together because of what they'd be giving up defensively. Um, so it'll be interesting from an X's and O's standpoint to see uh, what the lineups look like um, and where Dragic fits in in some of these rotations. Um, I do think he, you know, he, he can run pick and roll. He uh, has some playmaking skills. He's a good shooter. I think he was the leading scorer on that Miami team that went to the finals. That was 
only a year and a half ago. So, I mean, how much does he have left? He obviously had a pretty severe injury to his foot. I think it was his plantar. Yeah, he, he, he tore something in his foot, if I recall. And he's pretty much been out for most of the past year. So a um, lot of questions, but he's definitely a talented guy with experience. You mentioned the relationship with Nash. So I agree. It's a nice pickup, but we really don't know uh, where it all, where everything will shake out. Yeah. I mean, he was healthy enough to play in Toronto this season, but they said they sort of talked about it with him and wanted to go in another direction. The youth movement there. Um, Drogic actually pointed out that they have a couple games against Toronto coming up that I suppose he's already bookmarked. So maybe a little revenge narrative there for us. Uh, I think. I mean, what does he have to be mad about Toronto for? They basically told him he could stay home and they would trade him to a cont- or buy him out. I don't, I don't know what the. I'm not sure what, what where he would feel wrong, but okay, maybe there's something we don't know. I don't know. I guess if if you told me he did feel wrong, and I'm not saying he did, maybe he wanted to play for them. He didn't like the idea that they wanted to not play him. Um, okay, got it, got it. So yeah, there's the, there's that. Uh, I I got a text from a d- absolute diehard Nets fan who was sort of joking that he's going to be a third stringer, uh, and if he had gone to another team, they might have had more playing time. Uh, my first thought on that was. Well, there's not many contenders where he might immediately get some starts for forget third string. Um, I don't know if he's already feeling like the calculus has changed because a day after he signed, we got an update from Eric Adams that Kyrie Irving, um, not to bury the lead here, but Kyrie Irving might have a path towards being a full-time player in a matter of weeks. So that would certainly change how, Drogic's minutes would be used, but he still he should be looking at a handful of starts at the very least. Um, Kyrie, of course, only being eligible to play in eight more games the rest of the regular season unless something were to change soon. Well, listeners of the Nothing But Nets podcast know that we've been forecasting a full-time Kyrie Irving for a number of weeks. So we apologize if we didn't feel the need to touch on it on the outset of the show. <laughs> but... To us, it was a kind of a foregone conclusion that this would happen. And um, we basically have confirmation today, as you touched on, from the mayor. So that's obviously a game changer. And um, to put a bow on it, I would agree that Goran Dragic probably knew when he came here that, you know, Kyrie Irving would be full-time. So I don't think this comes as a surprise to him. But, uh, you know, huge, huge news for the Nets. They get a, a full-time Kyrie Irving, and he should be fresh. He should be healthy and really has some time now to round into shape and for the Nets to try and get some of that elusive continuity that has evaded them all year long. So big news coming out of Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, I don't know when they're ever going to get this you know, I kind of feel like it's the Charlie Brown joke. You keep thinking scary hours are coming. Now we're not going to call it scary hours anymore, but maybe it's more of like a seven seconds or less type of thing with all the talk of tempo they're going to be playing with. But some point, maybe in the next few weeks, the Nets would have Kevin Durant healthy. We got an update from Remarks. Sean Marks addressing like a handful of season ticket holders live with Michael Grady yesterday 
talking about, you know, he, he likes how both Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons have looked in practices. He said it might be tough for them to get out there in the next three or four days, but he's optimistic in terms of their trajectory respectively and wouldn't bet against either of them. Um, I think we got a little bit of intel from Alex Schiffer on Twitter that maybe Kevin Durant is a little bit closer at this point. But if you were to say that Kevin Durant will be back in the next two weeks, Ben Simmons will be back in the next two or three weeks, and Kyrie Irving has a path now to being a full-time player at some point with Dragic in tow, um, then that could be a very, very scary team for, for the NBA to deal with. Absolutely. So let me ask you, you just touched on a number of, number of guys on the roster that we're expecting to be back. And I think that as you look at this team, they're incredibly versatile. They've got quite a bit of depth. If you had to project now, looking ahead, what you think will be kind of the go-to five-man lineup? Um, because there, because there are so many different variations that Nash can put out there. What do you, what do you think that'll look like? What do you forecast as, as kind of the, the lineup that optimizes not only offensively but defensively? Now, of course, it'll depend on matchup. We understand that, but you know, as a default lineup, what, what do you think that might look like? It's a tough question. I'm going to guess that Joe Harris is not in the fold, and if he is in the fold. He's not at full strength. So I'm going to pencil in, I think. Oh, man. Uh, I guess. Who, where do, who do you lean towards winning the job in terms of closing? Seth Curry or Patty Mills? Because I think that's pretty close. Yeah, that is that is tough. That's, that's one where I could really see being a night-to-night thing. Just who's got it going, who looks fresher. Uh, who played more than last night. Like I, I could really see Nash kind of platooning those two guys um, and where there's no, there's no real clear cut starter or finisher. They're just kind of, you know, uh, almost like a, a two, a two person, one man unit, if you will. Yeah. I think if I had to, you know, water pistol, as Zach Lowe likes to say to my head, I think if I had to pick one winning the job outright, I would pick Patty Mills. Um and I know that might not seem like an obvious choice, or maybe that seems crazy given the way Seth has played since he's been in a Brooklyn uniform. But projecting full strength to this roster, I think that the the sort of some of the playmaking and passing that you get from Seth, you don't need as much when Durant and Kyrie are out there. And I do think Patty Mills is a more uh, is a less reluctant three point shooter. Seth has that mm-hmm. ama- amazing, I think, best all-time three-point percentage. But I think Mills just steps on the court unconscious. And to my eye, he's also the better perimeter defender. You know, the old quote about Steve Kerr, he's really good outside the three-point line on both ends of the court. Um, not that Patty is a, a tremendous defender, but compared to Seth, I think he, he gives you a little bit of an edge in terms of ball hawking. Um, so he'd be my guess. Obviously, you'd have Durant. Ben Simmons and Kyrie. Then you're looking for one more guy. If we have mills out there. And I don't know that that's a given because it's, you know, it changes the composition, but I suppose you get some floor spacing, not necessarily from the three point line from LaMarcus Aldridge. So maybe that would be 
how you want to project it right now. It's tough. It's tough though. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think you touched, I think you're right. Um, you know, you would think that Claxton or Aldridge would probably be in there unless, unless um, Nash wants to do what we, you know, what a lot of Sixers fans were begging Doc Rivers to do last year, which is play Ben Simmons more at the five and just kind of go with, go with a really a team that can spread the floor and, and shoot from anywhere. And what you give up on defense, you more than make up for an offense. So that'll be an option for Nash. But I think you're right. I think, I think Aldridge, I think Kyrie, I think obviously Durant. And then from there, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, you know, maybe one of these, one of these young guys emerges, that's definitely possible. So I'm, I'm open to lots of different things. And then, of course, Ben Simmons, he has to be shooting a certain percentage from the free throw line, or it's not even a given that he can be out there in these lineups. I think they're going to have to roll with Ben Simmons regardless. Uh, you know, when things really slow down in the playoffs, you have some of those games where you don't even crack 100 points. If that were there to be the case at some point, then a hack of Simmons strategy isn't as viable as it may seem. You know, even if the guy's shooting 50% from the line, if you're spotting a team maybe one point per possession, they, they could be hesitant to do that. Now, if you're into the territory he might have been last year where he's shooting like 25 or 30%, it's obviously more viable. And then you get into some of those scenarios where you don't want him out there. But I think if you're trading James Harden for a package around Simmons, you're not planning on, on pulling him at any point. Um, we didn't mention Andre Drummond. I wonder if they have talked about him ramping up his conditioning for more of a full-time role. So I wonder if he's in the cards there, but he doesn't provide the same type of floor spacing that Aldridge would. So who knows? Yeah. Drummond certainly he's had a really good season. Absolutely could see him being in there, giving them some size, um, you know, as, as we know, though, probably not a great match when Ben Simmons is out there. It's interesting so, we'll that you asked this question because I don't think there's an obvious answer. I think the, the easiest thing you could say is Durant, Irving, Simmons, one of Courier Mills, uh, and then that fifth guy gets pretty tricky because depending on the matchup, like if they were to play a team like Golden State or Phoenix in the finals, I think you would want to see a lot more Claxton in terms of a switch anything lineup that the Nets have looked really good doing months, at, you know, on stretches in the year with Claxton out there. Um, so I guess it could go a lot of ways. Obviously, you'd love to get your minutes for Aldridge because uh, he can play that pick and pop game and require a defender to go out there. If you were to match up against, try to stop Joel and B, then you might rely a little bit more heavily on Drummond because he's the best athlete uh, in the front court. Yeah, and a lot of this changes if Joe Harris comes back. Obviously, then yep. you know you've got you've got four guys that are pretty much penciled in, and it just becomes there's a lot less variability on on what the lineups will look like. But we really haven't heard anything overly optimistic on Harris's return. So I think uh, at best you're probably looking at touch and go through the end of the season. Yeah, and if if Drogic can turn back the clock and play a little bit like he did in that bubble in 2020, uh, he, he could certainly carve out a role for him, a closing role for himself 
it, you know, if not a starting role, I think if, if, yeah, I mean, if he's, if he's close to the guy we saw in the 2020 season, uh, you know, especially in the bubble, then that would change everything. I think that that would, that would exceed all of our expectations, but you know, in a, in a system where he's playing for a coach, he likes giving him freedom surrounded by shooters and having Kevin Durant to kind of draw a lot of attention. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem impossible. That's for sure. I think he's 35, I want to say. So, you know, not, not, not too, not too old really. I mean, uh, his game is pretty shifty, changes pace. He's not never been like a really explosive athlete. So I, I could see where his game would age well, as long as he has relative health. Yeah, um, we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this much a week ago, so I feel like we should give it a little time this time. Uh, the reason the Sixers wanted to trade Ben Simmons at all was because of you know supposedly mental health, not being mentally ready to play. That hasn't been a huge talking point since he got to Brooklyn. I, I know he mentioned that he's got some ongoing things that predated his on-court struggles in the playoffs last season. Um, said he's been dealing with it a while and no one is really, you know, when you ask Steve Nash about it, he talks about the performance team and his conditioning and stuff like that. Um, when Sean Marks talks about him, maybe being out there, not in the next three to four days, but not being quite as close as KD, it, it doesn't feel like he's months away. I mean, Ramona Shelburne made this point recently. She was like, I think it's closer to weeks than months. Obviously, it was kind of funny because what Nets fan was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be months away. If you knew you were getting Ben Simmons months away from return, you wouldn't have been as excited about this trade as many fans were. Um, so what do you think about that? What do you think about the team not really talking about it? What do you th- where do you think Ben is at and what's his return going to depend on to you? Well, there's a lot there, and it's really hard to speculate on on when he'll come back, but based on what he said, he finally spoke publicly, which, which he hadn't done since that Atlanta Hawks series where he, where he melted down on the court. So based on what he said, uh, you know, he didn't really say anything. He kind of clearly had some talking points that he wanted to stick to. And he did a good job of doing that. And he basically just said, you know, it's no one's fault. The reasons I didn't want to play in Philadelphia, I'm excited to start in Brooklyn. I think that's great. And, you know, the only question I would have is how much of the timeline is influenced, and maybe it's not influenced at all, by this March 10th game in Philadelphia that has kind of been circled by both teams, fans, and people that follow the league in general. You know, how much of that is, yeah, maybe it's not the best thing for Ben Simmons to play in that game. And then, of course, the, you know, the counterthought to that would be, well, we might have to play this team in the playoffs. It'd be nice for him to just get a taste of what that environment would feel like or, or what it's like or even just to get it out of the way. So I wonder what the team's thinking is on that or if, if they're not concerned about it at all. Um, but. That's that's something I was thinking when they started kind of phrasing the timeline. It could be weeks, it's not months. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, March 10th is actually 
about two weeks away. Um, would they, would they want to wait till that's over? Um, I don't know. And then the other part of it is, would you rather just have him come back once the ramp is playing just makes his life easier. And, you know, the, the spotlight is taken off of him or at least split between how Durant looks and how he's playing and what Ben Simmons looks like, as opposed to kind of just putting Ben Simmons out there and he's kind of the best player on the team all of a sudden and the spotlight is on him. And that's not really what the Nets had in mind when they traded for him in the first place. So those are all things that I'm wondering what the thought process is for on the Nets side. It's a fascinating subject. I don't know the answer. I do think Kevin Durant will be out there first. So I think to your point, when Ben does eventually return, that he won't have to play without KD, uh, assuming KD can stay healthy or isn't significantly load managed in a way where they'd be alternating games. But yeah, you know, you've got seven games before that March 10th showdown. There's a part of me that says, give, you know, Ben hasn't played. He's got, he was, dealing with some back tightness earlier in this season, receiving treatment for that. Um, <clears throat> back tightness. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I th- that was real. That was real. He, he did okay. have a tight back okay. and he, he received treatment. I've from... had a tight back, you know, what? it's not fun. It's hard to play basketball. The tight back. I, I get it. It's, it's not a necessarily a laughing matter in this case, because if you were to point to Ben Simmons, you know, injury concerns in the past, there was a back and there was a knee. So between those two, never want to hear that. Um, did a podcast Fair enough. with, uh, Fair enough. yeah. So you don't want to ramp them up too quickly. If there was even a hint of a back issue, if he even has a hint of a history there, a player who's as fast and agile as he is at his size. I think you want to be cautious and and be gradual with this. So I wouldn't be surprised if he came back after that. On the other hand, it didn't sound like they had that in mind. It sounded like they were trying to get him there on the sooner end. If you're thinking of avoiding that play in, you do want him maybe active at some point, you know, if not this coming week, then the week after to try to, to get a couple of these wins and avoid those nightmare scenarios where you might have to play in a game without Kyrie Irving. But um, then, you know, then there's a part of me where it's like, it would be, it would be good to have Simmons out there for that and just sort of baptism by fire and exercise your demons or whatever other narrative you want to use and get it behind you so that everything else is a little bit easier than that, that night, especially if you were to face the Sixers in the playoffs, having not experienced the game in Philadelphia um, maybe that would be more difficult then. You know, I, that'd be my thought is that it, it would be more difficult or at the very least the most difficult, the first go around. I mean, you think back to some of the, the even more famous returns, LeBron's first game back in Cleveland after he signed with Miami, Durant's first game back in Oklahoma city after he signed with Golden State. You know, those were pretty, pretty intense environments, but it seemed like, once it was out of the way, um, you know, the, it, it wasn't quite the same the second, third, fourth times. So I, I would think if you can just kind of get that in there during the regular season, it's better than, say, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, just hypothetically. But, you know, that's not to say that the Sixers fans are going to let him off the hook at, at any point. But, you know, I just think for him – you know, it's it's a little bit easier 
to kind of, um, what do they call it? Exposure therapy? Where Flo- you know, Yeah, flood therapy. It, right. It, it kind of just gets a, a, a little easier. You get a little used to it. And your body doesn't quite react in the same way the more times you do it. So that would be it'll the be equivalent of that might be the equivalent of taking someone with a snake phobia and putting them in a you know tank full of snakes and saying, look, as soon as you get out, you'll be fine. If you can survive what that arena would sound like on March 10th, if Ben Simmons were in that lineup, woo, um what like how how nervous could you be for the next game hosting the Pistons? <laughs> right, exactly. So yeah, there's that. Uh, Danny Green, Ben Simmons' former teammate, was on a podcast. I was writing about it today. He basically said he does not expect Simmons to suit up. He would not avoid shaking hands. He's talked about, you know, th- what that depends on is whether or not Ben came over to him to shake, whether or not the game was played clean or not clean. I don't know if Danny Green was hinting that there could be some flagrant fouls on March 10th. Um and then the other interesting thing, but he did say he doesn't expect Ben to play in that. And he says, we all know Ben doesn't love playing in Philly. He also talked about um, things were not so cordial between Simmons and the teammates he was traded with, Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. What do you make of uh, Danny saying that things weren't cordial between him and Seth? Might there be any ongoing tensions in that Brooklyn locker room? Yeah, it was interesting hearing Danny Green say that he, he is low-key not afraid to kind of break news on, on Sixers' behalf. <laughs> that's that's I've, true. I haven't, <laughs> haven't followed him. He's surprisingly outspoken. Um, you know, it's tough to know what the relationship is with Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. You would think that whatever tension was there would probably be or at least could be resolved in a new environment with a new team, uh, especially with there likely being a concerted effort to welcome Ben into the fold. So I don't really see it as being a long lasting issue. On the other hand, it's, it was interesting just kind of reading the tea leaves that, you know, the Sixers, despite what they may have been saying when they were hoping Ben Simmons returned, uh, had, had some resentment towards him. And there were probably at least a few guys on the team that felt a certain way about it. I mean, Embiid's been fairly outspoken about it, but everyone else has kind of towed the company line. So for Danny Green to say that, you know, it's interesting and, uh, you know, speaks to speaks to a little bit of animosity uh, or, or even more animosity between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, he did nothing to mute down this building rivalry for sure. I, I found it interesting because I wondered, I started asking myself like, well, was Matisse Thibel and Tobias Harris more cordial and Seth was less cordial? Seth sort of took, in my opinion, when he was asked questions about this, the like, I really don't give a bleep, you know, like he wasn't like Joel Embiid saying, I don't want to babysit. And he wasn't like someone else who went out of their way, like Tobias Harris to talk about, let's be understanding mental health, etc. He was just sort of, played it down the middle line. Like I'm focused on the players out there and it's not hard to believe at all that he might've felt a certain way about busting his butt through, um, you know, some tough times, maybe some injuries and his teammates not out there with him, the teammate that they went to war with in the playoffs. Maybe he was frustrated. Um, on the other hand, he, he certainly did not appear to be on 
awkward tension with Andre Drummond sitting on the sideline. They were clearly um, enjoying themselves, smiling and laughing a little bit. And they have no history really in Philly other than Ben is this brooding, sulking presence in practices that might have worn on even the most patient sixer. So the other interesting thing, you know, had, it, had these three guys been traded to uh, say Sacramento or Oklahoma city, they might not be too happy with Ben Simmons, but it's like, you know, you're going from one contender to another. It's 90 miles up the turnpike. You know, maybe, maybe it's a lot easier to forgive and forget in those circumstances. That's a great point. I hadn't thought that like, you're why I moved. <laughs> you're why I moved. We <laughs> right. The whole family. We would have all you decided it. you weren't happy. And as a here result, I am. I am literally here. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So there could be some of that. Um, you know, making the whole thing more intriguing is how dependent Ben Simmons and Seth Curry's games will be on each other in Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do the minutes. Steve Nash has talked about trying to find ways to play Ben and Drummond together. We did see a little bit last year that maybe Ben and Dwight Howard could work together if you had three absolute snipers out there with them. So maybe they can try that. On the other hand, it's not a natural fit given the floor spacing and free throw shooting. But Seth is the polar opposite. Seth loves to run in transition. He loves to hunt for open threes after a stop. He loves to play the dribble handoff game. Ben and him are a great, great match in terms of that. So if there is any tension, it makes sense for all parties to squash beef and get out there and play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know how it is. You can be mad at a guy, but um, once you're in a, your first close game and he throws you a nice assist and you finish and you guys celebrate together, it kind of dissolves whatever tension is there. And that's what I would expect to happen. Not worth much, but Seth has said things like Bruce Brown about how positive the culture has been since he got to Brooklyn. So, I mean, what else is he going to say? But at the same time, he didn't sound like a guy who you, you can believe it because of Bruce Brown talking about it so much. It does seem like there's a positive energy in that envir environment right now. Um, and Seth's been balling. Yeah. So I don't think he's really unhappy with his landing spot. No, I mean, he, he fell in a, in a great spot, like, you know, then, and that's probably the key to how he feels about the whole trade. Cause I mean, he's been having a great, really his whole tenure in Philly was only a year and a half, but he was consistent. He was really good. He obviously had the one bad game in Atlanta that a lot of fans remember game seven, trying to guard Kevin Herter didn't work out, but you know, he was really good there. So you could see where he might feel like he had finally found a home after bouncing around the league, but Brooklyn's a great spot for him. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, how it shakes out. But yeah, to the, to the point you made about Bruce Brown and the, and the positive vibes and, you know, it feels like a bit of a, a bit of a shot at Harden, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of how it works. Uh, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period on both sides right now. And, um, you know, we'll see how long it lasts. We'll see. And a lot of it will depend on whether the Nets can ever freaking all get out there at the same time, no matter who's on the squad. They do have an MVP candidate, and Kevin Durant went healthy. And they do have multiple all-stars to support him if they can get Kyrie and Ben out there uh, at the same time. Um, Nets fans don't want to believe this stuff because it just never happens. It's a long-suffering long fan base who's never won a championship. But um, if it can happen in the next few weeks, 
it could be look out. A couple quick hitting casualties. They had to wave DeAndre Bembry to make room in the trade, and then they got rid of Javon Carter uh, to make room for Goran Dragic. So a little bit of perimeter defense goes out the door to make way for um, you know the, the splash trades. Had to be done. Had to be done. Uh, although I would have loved to have seen Bembry make his way back somehow. Stinks is that he went to a contender in the Bucks. That's right. That's right. And, that, and that's not a bad pickup for them. Um, no, he was even Chenzo hasn't really been the same since he hurt his ankle. So, you know, maybe he can give him some minutes. Yeah, I mean, this Serge Ibaka will be uh, will be a good lift for them too. All right, um, Greg, thanks for coming on. This was our most basketball-centric pod of the season. We could have talked oh, a little real, bit. Real quick, Dave, real quick. We, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on this. Your lasting impression or favorite moment from All-Star Weekend? Well, the Nets were not as represented as he would have liked. Kevin Durant was hurt. Um, I, my lasting impressions, I mean, what can you say? I mean, Seth, Steph Curry was just absolutely redonkulous. He hit all these threes without even watching if they went in. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, that's that's the first, second, and third thing I'm going to think of when I think of that game. Joel Embiid was a, was a dominant force on the other end and helped keep it close. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. Chris Middleton, I think, not only cost his charity fifty grand when the game started to pick up and became close. He's running on a break, and he could have put the put them up by four at the close of the quarter, instead he throws like a lob alley-oop and Carl Anthony Towns broke it up and the quarter ended in a tie and then they lost by two. So couldn't help but think that Chris Milton was still in sort of like first quarter throw highlights mode long after a lot of the other players had switched into like, let's actually play hard mode. He didn't really pick up on that uh, and maybe cost his team to win. Interesting tidbit, and yeah, it's un- unfor- unforgivable error there <laughs> on Middleton. Can't do that, uh, especially once guys start shifting into fourth gear. You, you can't you can't go for highlight stuff, especially when you're a player who is probably the least exciting, most boring game of a star that we have in the NBA. <laughs> he could have he just laid it in and locked up the charity, maybe locked up the game. And I think he was trying a no-look alley-oop. I can't remember if it was Deontay Murray, but like it would have been over Towns. Just way too ambitious, unnecessary. The game had transitioned to like we're all playing now, and he didn't. Got to calibrate there. Can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, incredible show by Steph Curry. Probably the greatest all-star game performance that I can recall. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, nice performance in three-point shootout. I think he's the first big man to ever win it that I'm aware of. And obviously, we won't talk at all about the slam dunk contest. We'll just uh, wrap up there. Patty Patty Mills did not win the three-point contest. That was tough. Um, he was my pick. I really felt like he had the, you know, the the season he's having, the way he shoots the ball, his form. I just figured, you know, maybe he's not the favorite, but he's but he's a great pick. And, um, you know, he was, he was one point short of advancing yep. to the final round and, you know, who knows what would have happened, but that's how it goes. I told you this before, like a couple days ago when we were not recording that 
when he answered questions about it, it did not sound at all like he'd been able to practice for this. He wasn't even sure he admitted how to practice. I think if you got him like a rack and gave him three days, he could have won that thing. So you don't think that's just something you say so that if you win it, it looks even cooler. Like, yeah, I just walked in the gym, didn't really get a chance to stretch, but you know, so some guys to put up a some guys, I think the gamesmanship uh, with Patty. No, I think it was genuine. Um, you know, he said it after, after their last game. And I think he, well, he appeared in like 57 of the 58 games for the Nets here. He somehow didn't get COVID when the whole team got COVID. He didn't get hurt knock wood. I think he was just like, I, I don't know what kind of roller coaster this season has been. It's the most minutes I've ever played in my career. I need a break, man. I need like two full days off before I can even answer your questions. Um, so I think that's the kind of the mindset he had. And I believed him when he said he hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, he, he seems like a pretty straight shooter, no pun intended. So I'll give him the benefit nice. of the doubt that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you're right. That he was, he was just, hey, I haven't practiced, but, you know. I, I don't know. He, he's a guy. I'm su- I'm surprised. I don't know if that was his first one, but he seems like a guy who should be in for multiple shootouts. He's uh, I believe it was his elite, first and yeah, elite shooter. He said he got some tips from from Joe Harris, and he mentioned Kyrie had won it himself when he was only like 20 years old. So, wow, Kyrie won it. Okay, forgot about that. I knew Joe, Joe Harris won it like a year or two ago, so I didn't realize Kyrie had won. Yeah, Kyrie won it. I, I think he was like 22 or 20 back in Cleveland in 2013 or whatever. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Steve Kerr was a broadcaster and was like, this guy's one of the most talented players in the league already. thought that was a fun little tidbit from that weekend. I think Kerr could go out right now and, and uh, do better than uh, some of the performances we saw. Van Fleet, for one. Uh, it would be Sports fun to see somebody see Steve Nash and Steve Kerr get out there and do a three-point shootout. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's footage of Tim Legler on the internet, for those of you who are interested. At age 50, just absolutely <laughs> jump shots, still wet. <laughs> and and Kyle Korber was just working with Ben Simmons and shoot around, had him doing those the one-handed, you know, form shooting right under the rim. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good sign. He he supposedly helped Giannis a lot when he was in Milwaukee, and um, you know, Giannis, as we as you know, you remember the finals last year, shot like eighty percent from the foul line. So, oh my I don't goodness. think it's a bad thing. Um, he can only help. He can only help. Corver is one of the all-time greats. Yeah, hopefully he listens to Corver. Just has to change to his right hand, but you know, that's for another day. That's a separate one. The Kevin O'Connor line? All right, Greg. Thanks so much. Good stuff. Talk to you soon, Dave.